How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in unborn children. It may lead to lifelong physical and or neurodevelopmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting to situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD. This is Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. My name is Kurt Lewis, your friendly neighborhood podcaster. And today, I'm bringing you the third part of the FASD First Voices special. Today, I'm sitting down with another amazing guest, a FASD advocate, YouTuber, and moderator for an online FASD support group, Maggie May. How's it going, Maggie? Good, really good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Super excited. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was, I'm glad you agreed to come on. Uh, do you listen to podcasts often? I do. I found a few recently that were posted into my support group. At the moment, I'm listening to two. One of them is FASD Hope. And also what I listened to growing up was Can FASD had produced quite a few podcasts. Mm. So I kind of, I like going through them. It's amazing how many podcasts are out there at the moment, like uh, in terms of FASD. It's a really kind of growth industry. I know of like several in literally this past week that have come out. So hopefully oh. hopefully we can expand that kind of library, I guess, for people so we can yeah. get more knowledge out there. So getting down to the nuts and bolts of things, when w- did you get first diagnosed with FASD? So I was diagnosed at the age of five. I was very, very lucky because in Ireland there – is no facility for diagnosing of FASD. My mom kind of went really going through all the back doors and she found a psychiatrist who had heard very little about it, but at least had heard of FASD. And for her, she was like, okay, Maggie Daphne is hitting all of the right boxes. So she then traveled to Canada to get the necessary training, come back to Ireland to diagnose me. So without her dedication, I wouldn't have a diagnosis. Sounds very dedicated of that psychologist just yeah. to do all that training, can yeah. I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think for her, it was, she really wanted to know about it. And she would have been one of the, I think there's two psychiatrists who would have been able to diagnose and she's one of them. So quite impressive. Oh, it always amazes me the lengths people will go to just for more knowledge. And yeah. we really need more more like experts, more clinicians, more GPs like that who are willing to get more oh, want yeah. to get that more knowledge. Especially about Definitely. FASD. So what is it like living with FASD? Can you give me examples on how the symptoms impact your life? So for me it is my memory is terrible. I know, you know, neurotypicals will be they always say that there's like a doorway that, you know, you go through a doorway and you don't know why you're in that room for. For me, my every day is like that, where I might be told to do something and five minutes later I'll have forgotten what it is or I'll start doing it and forget what it is I'm doing. So a job very rarely gets 100% finished. You'll get half finished before I forget why I'm doing it in the first place. Also, I struggle with impulse control. So I tend to do things and then think about what I've done after I've already done it, which isn't ideal. And I suppose also just I'm 
very much struggled academically just because I would process a lot slower than neurotypical people my age would. So in school, I definitely struggled. And I think that is where a lot of the impact came from to do with FASD in my life. So it must be difficult kind of to deal with, especially that stuff with memory when you forget. You get halfway through. Now I'm having problems with uh, my speech here. <laughs> Sorry about this. Um, yeah, just when you have those kinds of problems, it must make like everyday tasks very difficult for you. How do you kind of cope with that? So through the years, we've tried loads of different ways. So we'd have like magnetic boards with printouts of Maggie, go for a shower, get dressed, uh, etc. do jobs. And then as I got older, it was kind of like, this isn't cool anymore. So we kind of upgraded it into like a whiteboard where I'd write down the tasks and tick them off as I went along. That worked for a few years. And then it was like, okay, I finally got a phone. And I was like, so my phone is definitely another arm, so to speak. It has like all my reminders. And every day we try and keep a similar as possible so try and do like I have caps so I try and do the literature at the same time every day but yeah no memory is still you know it's gotten easier with strategies and when I was younger I didn't really understand much about FASD and how it was impacting whereas now that I'm aware of it I'm much more able to be okay I'm struggling here or this isn't working whereas when I was younger I couldn't express that so it would just end up in major tantrums and blow ups because I would be getting frustrated not being able to express this isn't working for me. It was teenage years were fun. It sounds like it must have been very difficult to communicate what was going on with you to the people around you. Particularly I imagine teachers as well. It must have been very difficult. Well, definitely. So in school, especially come back to the memory, I would be taught something in the class like addition and be given 10 questions to take home, do it for homework. And I'd get home and I could be sitting there four hours having no memory of how to do it. And my mom would be like, Maggie, in your journal, you were taught how to do this today. And I would, no, nothing there. And then I go into school the next day without my homework done and it would just come back to me because I was back in the environment where I was taught it. So my brain kind of switched to school mode, whereas at home, no. And teachers would often give me a very hard time saying, you know, I'm just chanting my arm or I'm just being lazy when actually I couldn't. It was it's just there was no memory of what I've been taught that day. Yeah, that, that must have been very frustrating <laughs> to kind of go through. <laughs> have the symptoms you of the FASD... And its impacts changed over time, going from teenager to adulthood? Definitely. I think things that I struggled with as a teenager, as I got more knowledge on FASD, I was able to see the bigger picture. So before it'd be like, you know, I would want to go out drinking with my friends or I'd want to go partying. Or I remember my friends were starting to learn how to drive and my mom was just like, Maggie, that's not on the cards for you. And I just thought I had the most uncoolest parents ever who were just overprotective. And then as I got older, I was struggling with impulse control. And I realized, okay, if I'd started drinking, I wouldn't be able to stop. So definitely those challenges of wanting to fit in, wanting to be normal. I learned to accept that that wasn't going to happen, but that wasn't a bad thing. For me, for so many years, I had been trying to fit in and put on a mask, so to speak, and see how my friends were acting and just copy that. I wouldn't be myself. 
I suppose when I hit my 20s, it was then that I found the support group by Broken Wings and I was just like, hold on, I was reading things and I was like, wait, that's what I do. And for me, I was just, I'm not alone anymore. So I was getting to that point that was definitely a huge challenge was kind of getting to see the bigger picture of things. If that makes any sense. No, that makes complete sense. I imagine seeing the bigger picture must have helped orientate yourself. Where do you belong in that kind of space? Definitely, especially, you know, I have never met another person with FASD in real life. Really? Because you, I'm sure in Ireland there's so many people with mm. undiagnosed FASD, yeah. but because you can't get a diagnosis, so all of my friends or people I know with FASD are all online, which can also be a struggle at mm. times when you, you really just want to meet somebody and talk about it. But I think for me, I was very fortunate that I found so many different support groups online. So I've got a good group of friends who I would consider close. So I'd video chat with them and we spent quite a few hours video chatting and just, you know, talking about it and, hey, I'm struggling with this. Have you struggled with this? How did you, what strategies did you come up with? And so we'd kind of be throwing ideas off each other on this might help which is really nice. <laughs> it's quite refreshing. Well, it's, it's nice being able to actually talk to someone. I imagine it's somewhat relief going from not being able to talk to anyone to having lots of people you can communicate with on a daily basis. Exactly. And people who know exactly what you're going through or mm. have already gone through it or are going through similar things. It must have been somewhat yeah. of a relief of some respects to have just to have someone you can who would understand kind of stuff. And that's I reckon that's yeah. really important. Especially, I grew up in foster care, so even though I got a diagnosis at the age of five, I wasn't told until I was 15 that I had FASD to begin with. So it was very difficult because I was, my parents knew, so they could tell why I might have been doing things or why I was acting the way I was, but I didn't know. So for years, I just thought I was this terrible person who couldn't control their impulses and then once I was told it was a weight lifted, because so I was like, you know, this isn't actually my fault. It's not my fault. I keep doing the same things over and over again, and I don't learn first time around. I have to do it 60 times, and then I might start to, this isn't such a good idea. So it's definitely such a relief. So what are the major challenges you face because of your fasting? What's the major challenges you face now? In Ireland, there is still no recognition for it. Mm. So even though I have this diagnosis, I don't get any extra supports. And for me, I'm now wanting to move out of my family house. I want to go. I want to fly the nest, but there is nowhere for me to go. As in, there is accommodated living, but it's not for people with FASD. It's for recovering addicts. And due to my lack of impulse control, that would be a very bad fit for me. Now I'm kind of getting into the whole having to be an adult it's difficult trying to know where to turn to and where to go for me to be able to do what I want to do, but having the right scaffolding there so that I can succeed in moving out and living independently and trying to get more recognition, I think. The fact that it is an invisible disability, people, even though I have all the paperwork, they still don't believe that actually I have got challenges or I do need help with this, which creates its own challenges, I suppose. Mm. It must be incredibly frustrating. You have all the paperwork, you've gone through all this, and yet people aren't recognizing it. It's it's insane, in my opinion. And I hope 
the Irish government kind of wakes up to that. They wake up and realise there's a section of the population that needs support for FASD. Yeah, I think in all over the world, you know, if you're when you're younger, there are supports, but then all of a sudden when you become an adult, it's very difficult to find any supports yeah. because you're meant to outgrow your disability, which mm. is insane to even think like that because it doesn't work like that. Yeah, how can you outgrow FASD? It's not something that can be outgrown. It's a lifelong disability. And exactly. I just I find it insane that people don't understand that. Like it's it's a frustration. Yeah. And I imagine it's it's yeah. a it's a real frustration for you. Just, more uh, awareness. Mm, more yeah. awareness, that's what we need. More people aware, more more FASD awareness. Hopefully that, yeah. that that's changing slowly. I hope it's changing slowly. Last year or this year? I don't even know what year it is anymore. Ireland had its first FASD online conference mm. ever. So I suppose that, that's something. Yeah, that's progress. And hopefully it leads to yeah. like more recognition, more awareness at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned before that you use your phone as a, as a tool reminder and you have other things to help you with your FASD. Is there any other strategies that helps you deal with the symptoms? I suppose another one is... For me, it's crucial that I get my kind of zoning out time in order for me to be able to regulate and function. For me, that is listening to music and dancing around my room or watching something on Netflix. But just having an hour a day where it's just my time. You know, I don't get called to do jobs. It's just Maggie's zoning out time pretty much. And I've noticed that, you know, when my life gets super busy when I'm working and stuff and I don't get that, it just disrupts my entire week things don't run as smoothly as when i just get like an hour a day it took me quite a while to discover that that was the cause so that is a very crucial strategy is knowing your child might need something as in it might be an hour of gaming or watching an hour of television or something where you just zone out and for everyone it's different some people it's sports or just going out for a walk Mm. I do like going out for a walk or hanging out with animals. But I think that really is crucial in getting me to stay functioning and avoiding meltdowns. Now for the most interesting question, I like to think this is the question I've been asking all during this like FASD first voice special. So I'll do a drum roll or something like that, you know, just do you have any advice or or tips for people with FASD or caregivers who are helping a person with FASD who may be listening at uh, at home? I've got a few. First of all, listen to the person that you're caring for, as in we know ourselves. So if something's not right, we will tell you. We might not be able to express saying, my shoes are too tight. We might have a meltdown or something, but it's being able to read between the lines that, okay, this meltdown is for a reason. It's not just out of the blue. I think caregivers and people looking after, you kind of have to be detectives, as in you kind of have to just ask questions and because people on spectrum struggle to just be able to say what the problem is straight out. I I was 18, 19 before I could say, you know, the sound of metal spoons and cups drives me insane. (laughs) For people looking after, it's, you know, you have to be a detective. It's meltdowns or blow-ups happen for a reason. It could be an incident that happened in school. So it's just you have to ask questions and really prompt. Prompting is huge. I also think for people on the spectrum, it's we can achieve anything that any other neurotypical could. It might take us a bit longer, but if the right scaffolding is in place, we can do it. I never thought I'd go to university. 
and I graduated university. I never thought I'd hold down a job. And now I'm manager on egg processing farm. And so when people say you can't do something, no, we can do it. It might not be at the same time as our friends are doing it, but we will get there. And also when we fail, it's okay. It's okay that we fail at doing things. It's as long as we have a landing space, whether it's people looking after us, friends, as long as we have a safe space that we can, you know, go there, rest of it. And then we try again and we might get a little bit further next time and fail again, but at least we got a bit further. And I think it's getting that it's okay to fail because it just means we haven't found the right strategy yet. Wow. Um, that really hit me right there. <clears throat> sorry, I don't. Make, I always get. I seem to get emotional, but that just really made me emotional. I'm sorry about that, Maggie. Very unprofessional. But I just wanted to say you're you're amazing, Maggie. Thank you for coming on the show and talking with me about FASD and about your experiences. I'm sure they'll help a lot of people listening today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol: The Surprising Reality. Please tune in next week for another episode of Our Little Podcast. If you like this podcast episode, then please show your support by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. This project is funded by the National Disability Insurance Scheme, NDIS, in collaboration with NoFASD Australia. All rights reserved. For more information about FASD, then please go to www.nofasd.org dot au